All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 108 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. Forgive my voice, but a little other under the weather coming back from the Olympia. Uh, and, but I'm your host, Andrew Coates, and I am bringing on a first-time guest, my friend, Allie Gilbert, who I met this past February at Raise the Bar in Orlando, or she was one of the speakers. And Allie's actually making some waves in the industry. She's been uh, growing in prominence and brand and uh, speaking at a lot of events. And it's the classic example of the appearance of a quick rise preceded by years of hard work and experience. Um, and Allie, of course, specializes in coaching men to optimize their hormones, especially testosterone. She does a lot of talks on testosterone and overall just improving their quality of life. We're going to dive into that a little bit. Ali's also been featured in T Nation uh, in addition to some other publications. I'm really happy to see that. And she's a frequent public speaker and the host of her own event, the Silverback Summit. So it's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. That's so funny that you say it's like many years because I'm like, oh man, it has been <laughs> many, many years because we're very close in age and we've both been in the industry forever and training people in person forever, which I feel is more of kind of a rarity these days. It sure does feel like it. And I'm very adamant in, at least for me, not to be in a rush to get off the gym floor. And that's something I actually do say to a lot of other fitness professionals uh, because there's a lot of stuff out there about, you know, scaling your business. And in fact, I'm very interested in the idea of how can we reach and impact more people. And I think a lot of the guests that I've had on, it's probably a 50-50 split where a lot still work directly with their clients, people like yourself, uh, Lee Boyce, you know, even Don Saladino does a little bit of it. But, you know, Don has found ways to scale his ability to deliver his systems to a lot of people and earn an incredible livelihood. I recently mm -hmm. had Joel Jameson on and Joel... Joel doesn't really do much one-on-one -on -one coaching anymore, maybe a, a couple of his high-level athletes, but he's building businesses and systems like Morpheus and, and Precision Metabolics, which we talked about, which are going to create a much broader impact on people. So I'm really interested in that side of stuff too. And I know you're on a quest to, to grow brand and business. So I, I suppose let's start here because this will be fun. It's not, we definitely see male coaches who specialize in training women. Okay. We see a lot of that. And yep. I think a lot of it's fine, but some of it is skeezy as all hell. And I'm not going to get into that whole thing. <laughs> um, but you coach men exclusively, which is sort of a rarity. We really don't see that very much. Uh, and and even then, it's not all men. It's it's a certain you know niche, I suppose. Did you seek this niche out? Were you always interested in it? Did it find you? And let's turn that into a bigger talk about you know the classic advice to niche down, pros and cons. Yeah, that. So it. I would say it found me by accident. Um, and the short story is anyone who graduates with an exercise science degree, we all want to train athletes. And then soon we realize, at least back then, there was not a ton of money in strength and conditioning. And it's quite the saturated market and most athletes are broke. And the town I grew up in had a lot of wealth and a lot of golf clubs. And so I started personal training at a world gym back in the day, um, then I basically had a ton of male clients because I started specializing in golf fitness. Cause I was like, Oh, golf is a sport and people can afford to train. And I re really do well with the type a wall street personality. So only dudes sought out doing golf fitness. None of the women really did. And you realize very quickly that guys don't go to the doctor ever unless it's like a dire emergency or their dick's going to fall off or something like that. 
and they don't really know a lot about supplements and they're taking like test boosters off the shelf and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, no one's really like diving into onto this. And, you know, they're haphazardly just taking whatever they buy at vitamin shop. And my old business coach, Tom Plummer, saw me starting to post about men's and women's hormones because I got into hormones and he was like, just start posting about the men. He's like, there's something there. I think, I think we can run with this. So I just dove head first and specialized in it, learned everything I could about men's health and hormones, spoke at a medical conference, attended medical conferences. And this is back in like 2012. And so now here we are where I have my own network of trusted medical professionals and practitioners that I share clients with. And I continue to educate guys and kind of diffuse the awkwardness surrounding their boner talk and make it a safe place for them to understand that, hey, if you have issues and you're in your 20s or 30s with testosterone or erection, that's actually pretty common. I wouldn't say it's something that we want to label as normal, but it's actually pretty common and it's okay to talk about. So I think guys feel safe talking to me about it. And at least I think I'm funny. I spin it in a way with my own personality that makes it less awkward for them. So when they do talk to me or slide in the DMs, they kind of know what they're getting into and they know that they can talk about it freely. So that's how I ended up here from strength and conditioning at Springfield College. <laughs> it's a very organic process. And, and I like that because I think there are a lot of examples of people the ultimate example is Cressy Sports Performance, you know, Eric, Pete, and yep. Antonio Bellacore, and how, yeah, they came from a strength conditioning background and started their gym. And Eric, obviously, and Antonio came to great prominence through writing for T Nation and other publications. But it, it was something that sort of morphed where they kept working with young baseball players and pitchers, and they had a lot of success with, especially with, uh, with well, both Tony, but certainly Eric's expertise in, in, in shoulder mechanics. And then I guess their niche really did found, find them. And of course they grew from there and they're known as kind of the experts. And I th I'm pretty sure, yeah, I, would say, I think Justin Verlander, who just won a Cy Young Award coming off of a Tommy John surgery is one of their clients. And I know they they work with Max Scherzer. They worked with Corey Kluber in the past. So that's at least three Cy Young Award winners that have come through their system, not to mention all the other pitchers that do well. So I'm, I'm of the mindset, we'll see if you agree that, in-person personal trainers, I don't think need to be in a rushed niche at all. If something finds you, you're passionate about it, great. But I think sometimes when people try to own space that no one else has, I mean, in your case, sometimes it's just no one, maybe there's not a lot of expertise in that space or, or no one knows how to go into it. But I've also seen examples where people try to own space that there's a reason no one wants it because it's not good space to actually be in. Uh, I, there was a young man that I remember, and I don't want to call anybody out, but he tried to grab onto the space that, you know, in order to optimally grow muscle, you just need to slow your reps down. You have to slow the tempo down. And this is how he branded around. I'm like, first of all, it's not even evidence-based. And I, if, I got to be very careful how I say this, but there would have been a little more credibility if he wasn't a fairly small person himself. So <laughs> like, it's really hard to brand around something that doesn't work when you about muscle growth, when you yourself have not demonstrated the ability to build a whole bunch of muscle. So again, there's nuance to that, but I think niching, I think it's overrated. I think as an online coach, it can be valuable, but I, I just have this very strong aversion. A lot of people listening will be like, Oh, I have the elevator pitch in my bio. Listen, that's fine. 
I personally don't like it and I don't do the elevator pitch thing. And I like to say, it's like, well, I help, uh, you know, 41 to 42 year old single, you know, divorced uh, lawyer moms with 2.2 children, you know, to get, like it's, <laughs> come on guys, it, the shit's getting ridiculously specific. And I, I personally don't really have a, an interest in going super niche. So any advice for, cause it's mostly coaches listening, but any advice for them? That, yeah. It's funny you say that. Cause I think I was told that by Avery Fagenbaum. I don't know if you remember Avery from like way back in the NSCA days. When I was 19 years old, I was doing an internship and he was like, the best advice I can give you for when you get older is to find your niche because his was training kids and doing plyometrics for kids and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, you know, like I'm 19. You don't really know until I believe you work somewhere in a commercial gym. Like that is the advice I would give when I would hire trainers working in a gym Go to a commercial gym before you think about going somewhere, maybe private or even online. Get in front of as many different personalities, orthopedic hot messes, like as many people as you can so that you have the capability to understand how to navigate dealing with all those different personalities and issues and stuff like that. That's how you learn what you enjoy working with and what you naturally are good at. I learned very quickly. I am not good at doing like the small talk, social training type of thing, which was typically a lot of the housewives that came to the gym. I could not relate. I, I'm more of like a tomboy, you know, in nature. I like cars. I like sports. I'm, you know, I played soccer at Springfield. Like that wasn't my personality. So I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to socialize. I was just like, come on, let's get to work. And obviously that attracted more of the type A let's get to work, dude. So then naturally, if you do that, you're training guys who are into golf and then the business dudes. And that's how that kind of morphed with the golf fitness and the men's health. So I think if you try to label yourself as X trainer too early, you might find yourself somewhere where you don't like, and then all of a sudden you switch and that could be perceived a little bit weird. You know what I mean? Because people will be like, Oh, you were this and you know, now you're this. Like all of a sudden you're postpartum women and now you're, you know, children's hormones, like something really specific, like you said. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, niche hopping, that would be weird. I think <laughs> it, and it's not the same thing. I think careers can evolve. This also sort of comes out of the Cressy ethos, where if you're a great specialist in something, most people also assume you're a great generalist too. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you know, you could pick a general trainer or, you know, Eric Cressy or one of their, you know, coaches who specialize with athletes to train your mom or your dad. I'd feel pretty confident that the, the Cressy people could, you know, do a really great job, keep them safe and get them strong. Right. Um, and I, I think of our friend Don Saladino and Don gym owner and a, someone who's definitely immersed in the golf training world for a long time, but also started training very, very famous people, uh, starting with Hugh Jackman. And he's very well known for training Blake Lively and, and Ryan Reynolds amongst many others. So I think you can wear multiple hats and Don certainly is seen as a celebrity trainer, but he's also got the credibility as a gym owner, but now he has his, you know, his, his online, his app and all these other sort of things and brand partnerships. I mean, Don is also sort of exceptional in terms of how he's done. And I look at, I think I do some stuff that maybe I wouldn't advise other trainers to do. 
I have a <laughs> podcast geared towards conversations to support other coaches, but that really the, the listenership is, is other trainers and I don't market anything to other trainers. Certainly not at this point. Uh, my public speaking stuff tends to be career development stuff. Again, I'm not a business mentor and I have no aspirations of being in that space. Uh, the writing for T nation is very much like, you know, bros, strength, bodybuilding stuff, muscle fitness stuff and men's health stuff is a little bit more general population. Social mm -hmm. media is probably a little bit more broadly general. And in fact, my social media following is about 61% women, which is just something that sort of evolved. So then I started a an online women's group strength program with my partner, a former client named Bailey. And we do a podcast surrounding it. And that's a women's online program. So it's like toes in so many different things. And they all seem to yeah. work. And I think you can you can have credibility, but I think it can also, I wouldn't necessarily advise most other coaches to probably do it that way because your talks, your event, your everything is really very geared towards your niche. Totally. It's so funny because, I mean, Don and I met each other through golf fitness back in like 2009 or something like so we met each other through the Titleist Performance Institute and I lived right outside New York City. So I would constantly go down to drive his old gym and we trained together and we were, we have a very brother sister relationship. Like Don married Charlie and I, and I met, I met Charlie cause he worked out of Don's gym. So we all kind of grew up together. So I've seen him like transition. And so he and I both started in golf and then we kind of, you know, branched out from that. But if we got a golfer like tomorrow, yeah, we could absolutely handle that. And the funny thing was like, when I was training people in person and literally it was half and half in 2019, like full on. All right. I had people in person in the morning and a lot of my online stuff was in the afternoon. My in-person people were all golf fitness. Most of them didn't even know what I did online. They didn't understand that I like, you know, did they're like, you do what? Like you're a doctor. No, like what? And I'm just like, I talked to guys about like their boners. Okay, cool. Like they had no clue what online coaching was. They thought like I do Zoom live training with people. And honestly, there's a lot of people that still don't understand what online coaching really is. And that's a whole nother uh, topic, but totally can still wear hats. I still have people that contact me for golf fitness very randomly, um, but still they seek that out. I do have women that ask like, hey, I know you could train guys, but would would you train me? And it's select women, but I still work with women. I'm not going to say like, no, go away. Like, you know what I mean? So I think it's, yeah, you can still niche and say that you work with certain people, but also you can also say who you don't work with because maybe you're at the point where you can pick and choose. But I would say when you're younger, I wouldn't give yourself that liberty right away. I would still say train as many people, work, work with as many people as possible until then you could definitively say, you know what? I only want to work with this population. Maybe you collaborate with somebody who is better with you at other stuff. I've gotten a lot better at saying, you know what? I'm not going to work with like somebody I have no idea about like a pregnant woman or a postpartum woman. I took that on when I was younger and I'm like, yeah, I'll do research. But I'm like, man, I really don't want to research this shit. Like, <laughs> you know, we're with the men's health stuff. Like it just really fascinates me and just the whole social stigma and all that regarding TRT and everything. I just love diving into that because there's a lot of evolving research because it is a relatively new concept. Well, that was the thing I want to talk about next was a perfect bridge to it. Like I knew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Um, you know, let's talk about it. What are the issues in our society surrounding this whole thing? Implications of declining testosterone levels. What are men dealing with? What can they do? You know, and and what what should coaches be doing? What should they be asking? What what they what should they be talking about with their clients? Fired away. So with men, the difference with coaches, right? So say you're my client, you probably are not going to bring up the fact that you might be dealing with some erection issues or that you've been feeling off or just not yourself. Guys just don't talk about that stuff. Women tend to more in a social client. That's why women are more social creatures, I think, by nature. Like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I think I'm in early menopause or premenopausal or I have hot flashes. Like, they're more likely to talk about that, especially surrounding their menstrual cycle, stuff like that. Guys go in the locker room and it's like, I'm going to avoid the guy blow drying his balls. Yeah. You don't talk about like, you know, what's happening in your bedroom that or what is not happening, stuff like that. So with guys, it, that conversation has to be more provoked. And I would say the coach can talk about maybe made up clients who have been dealing with stuff like that or stories that have happened with clients. If if you sense somebody's off or maybe, you know, they don't feel like themselves, like, you know, hey, what's going on? You're right. Things at home. Okay. You know, oh, one of my clients, you know, was feeling the same way you are in the gym and he's actually been experiencing some major um, low motivation and a lot of brain fog lately. He's only 36. Like he got his testosterone checked. It's really low. He's having, you know, some erection issues, stuff like that. That will usually bring guys out to talk about it if they're comfortable with it. And obviously it depends on the relationship you have with your client. But with guys, it's more of a pride thing. And for them to consider that they might need hormone replacement, it's almost like they're defeated. Women go on hormone replacement and no one bats an eye, but a guy goes on testosterone replacement and all of a sudden he's cheating or doing something wrong or succumbing to something that he didn't really want to do and, and stuff like that. So there's so much more stigma associated with it. Guys don't want to tell people that they're on it. They don't want to talk about it. And and it, it's almost like, I don't want to admit that I need TRT. So that's kind of the difference between men and women. And so when you have this discussion, it's going to be something that usually has to be brought up. I would say it's gotten a lot better because men will hear about, Hey, does that test booster work, work? Or does that really work? You know, stuff like that. And then you talk to them because then you kind of know why they're asking. So they may have symptoms of low T. They just don't know if they qualify and then they may want to know what they can do about it too. There's a few things in there specifically. Like, for example, you mentioned low T. You can be low normal and that some doctors will be like, nope, you're within normal range, but still feel like garbage. So do you want to talk about what it means to be within the normal range and what are the differences between someone who's high, low, high normal versus low normal and what doesn't matter? So... The range of testosterone for total testosterone is measured in, in the U.S. in nanograms per deciliter. And that range is an average of everybody in America. And it's men who are sick, men who are overweight, men of pretty much any age, however they look. So basically, you're being lumped in with everybody else, no matter what their body comp and stuff like that. The range used to start around 350 and go up to 1100. Since about 2017 is when LabCorp at least changed their range for the first time. <laughs> they lowered the standard mean um, 
to 250 to around 900. And various labs, like there's Quest, there's LabCorp, which are the main ones. There's one called BioReference. The lowest that I've seen it start at was BioReference, which is like in the 180s, going up to like 860. Our grandfathers were lowish around 800 something. So that should say something about the fact that when you're at the top end of the range, that's considered completely outlier. Like that's not what is really normal. A lot of guys are sub 300 nowadays, no matter what their age, 20s, 30s, stuff like that. But because they fall into this arbitrary range, they are told, oh, you're okay. Don't worry about it. Or somebody like yourself. Well, you look like you have high T. We don't need to check it. You're fit. You're too young. Oh, you go to the gym. Oh, you just want to stop. You know, I've heard everything for doctors refusing to test it or for them just not thinking somebody needs to test it. And you can have all the symptoms in the world. You can be 29 years old, have a testosterone level of 280 and be told that it's okay. You're in range. But this is based on mostly primary care, GP and insurance-based blood work. If you go out of net or not out of a network, but private cash-based concierge medicine, you can usually go on testosterone if you have symptoms. The problem is that the insurance companies want you to be under 300 twice in a row in order to quote qualify for TRT. And a lot of guys get told this and they're like, well, I don't qualify for TRT because I'm not below 300, even though they feel like shit, they have the worst symptoms and then they get handed a SSRI. Well, you're depressed. So here you go because you're in range, your testosterone's fine. So you must, must just be depressed. So have a nice day, take this. And it sucks because then it's the ultimate defeat because some guys, it takes a lot for them to go even get lab work done. That can take a lot for a guy to go to the doctor and admit something is wrong and then get told, well, you're fine. So then that's a whole nother level of like, well, shit, I don't feel fine. I don't perform fine. And all these other things are wrong. What is a guy supposed to do? It takes a lot for him to get there. So to have to go back or to seek it out separately from insurance-based, which everyone should do, you know, it's tough. But that's what that range is based off. That makes a lot of sense. So we, I've seen your presentations, you know, you openly talk about how like average, and you alluded to it there, but average male testosterone levels have been in decline over the last couple of generations. And obviously the exposure of microplastics is one thing. Um, I would assume that alcohol is probably involved in there somewhere. I'm not necessarily sure if alcohol consumption has increased, but what's going on in a society? What can people do? Like one of the things that I changed immediately was got rid of using, you know, plastic Tupperware and plastic water bottles after your talk. Yep. And I, are those things enough? Is there a whole bunch more we should do? Is that just sort of like banning plastic straws and like, you know, virtue signaling and, <laughs> when it really doesn't and, and that people are going to interpret that as an ideological statement we've got that going on here in canada it's like that's that's politics at play and it's probably not addressing the real issue and that's yeah. my it, it it's funny because everyone asks me well what can i do at home and i'll preface it with saying you you can eliminate all plastics from your environment you can literally just not leave your house 
and it's almost impossible just to avoid any type of chemicals like in the air. But if you're still not addressing training and nutrition, that will always be number one. Always, always, always. So keep that in mind. I actually used to get on Don about this and I brought it up in various talks because he started carrying around this big glass, like gallon water bottle. And I'm like, you're such a dork. And he's like, no, man, you don't understand. And this is got, I don't even know how many years ago. So I always say like, yeah, I used to get on, get on Don for carrying that around. And we used to think that that was like super tree hugging woo woo shit, but that's actually now reality. And I tell guys, if you're going to do anything, cause it can be so overwhelming. And guys do really well with like structure and specific instructions. Just eliminate all the plastic Tupperware from your pantry. You're not going to find all the tops. They're going to be lost anyway. Just get rid of it because you don't want to microwave that. Replace with glass. It lasts forever, pretty much. Or stainless steel. So I think a stainless steel bottle is pretty much everywhere. You used to not always find them then carry that around. Don't microwave in plastic. Don't let, you know, hot water bottles in your car hang out there because there's xenoestrogens, which are fake estrogens that are thousand times more powerful than regular estrogen seeping into your food and all of that. Then change all your products that you use on your body on a daily basis for ones that don't have things like phthalates and parabens and all those toxic, scary words. So there's tons of products out there. One of my clients owns a company called Johnny Slicks. All of their men's grooming products are free of that stuff. And it smells amazing because you're putting that on your body every single day. So it's pretty easy to just change that stuff out. Other than that, if you want to go farther and change your water filter in your house or in your shower head, awesome. Like every little thing, of course, will make a little bit of a difference. But again, training and nutrition are first. Is that because of the prevalence of female birth control hormones in the water supply? Yes. Yep. So when women use the uh, restroom, then all that synthetic estrogen is being put into the water. And it's funny because I was listening to the talks from Swiss because that that was the same weekend as my event. I couldn't go. And Victoria Felker had said the biggest abusers or users of PEDS are women because of the birth control pills, which are synthetic hormones. And so we now realize 30 years later, I think that, all right, birth control pills are really not good. And it does a lot of bad things. But when it gets into the water system, it's very hard. You can't filter out estrogens in the water with a Brita. It's just impossible. So you have to get special filters that are usually charcoal or carbon, stuff like that. But There are guys like I have clients that have changed their entire house water filter system and the shower head to avoid that. Because, I mean, some people shower daily, some monthly, whatever your jam is. I mean, you know, I'm not going to (laughs) judge. That was like we're like totally alluding to the liver king and a lot of these sort of things. And I'm definitely not going to go hard (laughs) on that particular topic because that's like everybody's been sort of like cliche on him. But yeah, he looks like he well, apparently admittedly doesn't shower much. So. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> well, honestly, is- like Ben Ben Greenfield d- has done a lot of this stuff way before Liver King was was a thing. So he he's gone down the rabbit holes of like eliminating EMFs from the bedroom and stuff like that. You know, like you can go uh, you know, listen. I'm not going to judge anybody, but when we're born, if you're born in a hospital, you're put on a plastic tube. Like it's almost impossible to avoid every exposure to chemicals because it's in our air, it's in our car, it's in our carpets, it's in 
um, you know, anything that you go near a store, it's paint fumes. It's just, again, if you want to stay home and avoid it, cool. That's your thing. But like, it's impossible if you actually want to be in society. So. No, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Hopefully we didn't scare the crap out of everybody, but uh, I mean, (laughs) bringing people onto this and again, even the, our female listeners too, will probably find this interesting if you deal with male clients and there's even a little bit of stuff here. Anyone listening could go back to my previous episode. We only just touched on it, but Holly Baxter was just on and Holly has been talking on her social media about, you know, her low testosterone. And of course, women may have misconceptions about, you know, testosterone for women or, or in that the flip side, men and estrogen. And these things are actually really important as long as they're within, you know, I guess normal ranges, right? And there can be negative consequences for having too low or too high levels, you know, for each gender. That that's a really big thing. So so I'll I'll address like the women's testosterone. I've been very open that I'm on TRT and have been for about two years. I tried literally everything to get it up. Like my total, I think, was like 12 forever. Mm-hmm. And the highest I got it was 21. And for women, you want to be upwards in like the 30s and 40s, which is great. And I, I tried everything. Obviously, I I lift, you know, have a good diet, or so I thought, or whatever. But like you can do all the things and sometimes it just doesn't budge. So I went on TRT and I felt a lot better. My mood's more stable. Um, and it, it's confusing because it's not necessarily like approved for women, really. Like it's hard to get. So it, it's funny that like, wait, women on testosterone? But yeah. And most women think like, oh, you're going to explode into muscles. And some guys think that regarding TRT. And it's not a panacea and, and it doesn't turn you into the Hulk overnight. You actually do have to lift. I mean, God, um, some of us are trying to turn into the Hulk and we lift numerous days a week and it takes forever. We know that. So it is very important for women to have testosterone for numerous reasons and guys with estrogen. And that is a huge, huge topic, especially in the bodybuilding world. And I actually had one of my practitioners, Dr. Jordan Grant, who is a urologist, spoke at my event, the Silverback Summit, on estrogen in men. He had two talks, estrogen in men and then TRT and prostate cancer. And traditionally, I think it comes from the bodybuilding world that they have used aromatase inhibitors to suppress and block estrogen in guys. And aromatase is the enzyme that converts testosterone to estrogen. And estrogen has been perceived as bad. It causes gyno and irritate or irritability and mood issues and water retention and all this stuff. And a lot of that stuff has just been parroted, but nobody knows, does it actually cause those things? So Jordan produced a lot of the research and showing the detriments to using aromatase inhibitors in guys and how, when you measure estrogen in serum, it's really not reflective of what is actually in the tissue because in men and postmenopausal women, it works as an intracrine hormone. So what is actually in the blood is completely different. And the analogy that I like is it's like asking Bill Gates how much money he has by looking just in his wallet. So it's only a small reflection and it can be a different number any different time of day. Men need estrogen. And if you think about what happens to women when they go in menopause, they lose estrogen. What happens? Osteoporosis. So if you're suppressing a guy or or just crushing his estrogen, his bone density can go down. They've done DEXA scans on guys who have been on aromatase inhibitors for years 
it's not good. If you don't have estrogen, you lose your insulin sensitivity. You lose your cardioprotectiveness. You lose your neuroprotectiveness. You lose your libido. Ask any guy who has completely crushed his estrogen with an aromatase inhibitor. He probably does not feel like having sex. So it's, it's one of those things that a lot of clinics still hand out TRT with an aromatase inhibitor as like the TRT starter pack and send these guys out the door having no clue how it's affecting them. And so many guys are suffering and they may feel better at first, but then they feel like crap. And they're like, I have no libido. I have no um, erection. I have increased body fat. And then they blame the TRT and they're like, well, this doesn't work. It's a big, it's a big, big deal. It's a bit, it, I get in arguments all the time. I have clinics mad at me in Florida. Like I will not stop though advocating because I know I have the medical providers who have all the literature and the research. It's not just my opinion. Like what, what would I get out of saying? Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, saturate guys with estrogen. So guys on TRT need to allow that natural process. Blocking an enzyme is not a good idea in this case. Same with hair loss medications. You're blocking the enzyme that turns testosterone into DHT, which is a more potent form of testosterone. That has side effects too. Anything that you do like that is going to have some sort of ramification. You can Google post-finasteride syndrome and guys have ended up impotent. I mean, it, it's it's a big argument and it it's one of those things that we're trying to get practitioners to understand that they don't have to block estrogen in guys, that they they can just leave it where it is. Don't even measure it. Because if you measure it, it gets flagged as high, which most labs will. If you're on TRT, you probably have a good aromatization process where estrogen will be over 30, which is the high end on most labs. And so then doctors freak out and they're like, oh my God, you have to suppress it. Why? Well, because it's bad. Why? Show me the studies. I get very passionate about this. <laughs> well, perfect. It's it, it's why I want you on here. That way, everybody listening now has access to you. And we'll throw them your social media after. I got one more line of questioning. But I just want to make sure that people can go to you. They can follow what you're doing. And they can dive in and learn more. Because honestly, this is something that we're not getting exposed to a lot of in the industry. And I think there are going to be people who are like, ah, okay. But at least you know Ellie's there. Or there's going to be people like, oh my God, I have clients dealing with this stuff. I need to know more. And then they just decide, all right, that's it. Down the rabbit hole we go. But a lot of the stuff runs concurrent to a lot of the conversations I like having about growing brand name in the industry. It's been a key goal for you. You know, you hold that ambition. And I guess I want to get your thoughts on this sort of a, a duality where some people, a lot of our friends, I mean, again, we mentioned Don being an ultimate example, have really leaned into building an individual brand, uh, you know, social media following, which I think can really run concurrent versus the people who prefer to work maybe in an environment where they don't necessarily want to be the person aggressively on social media. They kind of have it begrudgingly. They would rather work in someone else's business, you know, just coach and do what they love but not necessarily have to be the face of it to attract the clients. They're really happy with working for someone else who will do it. So, you know, your thoughts on any of that and, and why you're so passionate about growing within this space. I think because, you know, running my first event, I realized, I, I guess going into it, I didn't know what to expect because it, it was, it was a hybrid of like medical and fitness. You don't know what to expect. And 
the feedback was so overwhelmingly positive. I was like, holy shit. And I enjoyed it. I love public speaking. Like I knew in my 20s when I started going to NSCA conferences when I was 22 years old, I was like, I want to be up there. That's what I want to do. I love teaching. I love educating. I love talking to other coaches, you know, and when people respond to you on social, like, you know how it is when somebody messages you and they're like, thank you for everything you do. And you don't even really think you do that much. You just like say what's on your mind. But when people come to you with messages like that, or guys DM me and they're like, I had no idea that what I deal with other guys deal with. They don't think it's common, especially younger guys, like in their thirties now, thirties and twenties, the, even at the live events, like coaches will come up to me privately and they're like, I have been dealing with premature ejaculation or, uh, erectile dysfunction for so long. And I thought something was wrong with me. And the fact that you talk about this openly and make it aware or make people aware that this is a thing, like just hearing that just makes me want to keep going and keep advocating for men, especially with this new or whatever social narrative trying to eradicate masculinity from earth that really upsets me so i really feel very strongly that a lot of guys don't know their role in society anymore because women are way more independent and they're kind of feeling lost as do i compliment somebody do i not do i act aggressively in a good way do i not stuff like that that is what drives me and I think that after doing this event and seeing that guys also create like crave community, cause this was an all men's event. And I didn't think that 40 dudes in a room would actually hang out with each other to get me to hang out with everybody past midnight, which is my bedtime. I was like, damn, this is a lot of fun. And, and people really want to be with other guys that are going through the same shit that they think no one else is going through, that they're suffering in silence and thinking that they're alone. But now they have a community of other dudes who are going through this and that are openly talking about it. I was like, that is worth everything to me. That is worth absolutely going through the process of planning an event, which is like planning another wedding and going through this and hosting this. And that's why I want to host another one so soon because it was so well-received especially from the medical community, which was a surprise because again, that whole blocking estrogen thing really pisses a lot of people off, but a lot of them were really keen on coming. And I had other doctors ask me, Hey, can I speak at the next one? And, you know, Oh, are you doing another medical conference? And I'm like, well, it wasn't really just a medical conference, but I guess it could be, you know, seen as stuff like that. So I know that's like a super long-winded answer, but it, it really is why I am so driven because I see like there's a deficit in connecting the fitness and the medical community in a lot of aspects of men's and women's health. But with the men's health alone, if I can just help one guy and help anybody see that there is a better way to do stuff and you can feel better and you're not alone, then that means I've done my job. Well, you hit on something I really believe in. It's people have this, this attitude. Oh, Social media—that's that's a vanity metric. Followers are a vanity metric, and all this sort of crap. And I'm like, that's sort of a sour grapes sentiment. And I usually find it comes from people who just—they've struggled with social media anyway. I mean, and then you get the people who you know the buying fake followers and all this other sort of stuff. And, yeah. and I'm not even going to get get into that stuff because then you're just playing status games. 
but you know, fake followers are not going to be messaging messaging you about testosterone and all these other sort of things. But we do need to lean into reaching more people, and social media is one of the touch points where people can most easily access you, and then they can dive into you know things like your podcast, go to one of your your events, see you go talk somewhere, uh, listen to podcast appearances like this, so way they can do a deeper dive into what you're doing. So I'm a big believer. You have to develop the career capital, the the resources, so that way people can you know go into more information, they can find more things. But I also think it's really important to have that brand presence and and forward facing on social media in such a way that it's engaging, it's highly shareable, that more people can ultimately find you and to start interacting with you. And we've seen a lot of really good people do very well with this. Don again is one of the best examples of this. He really blew up his social media, and his email list, which put him in a position to pivot, to be able to shut his gym at the start of COVID, lean into something online and help a hell of a lot more people. So mm -hmm. that's it. It's a vehicle to be able to help a lot more people. Now, I don't begrudge. In fact, I support anyone who just like, they still don't want to do what we do because this is very full time. There's a lot of work involved, a lot of patience, a lot of persistence, the attitude of continuing to show up and create and share and do things without the expectation of a very specific result from every social media post, from every article, from every podcast. However, you string enough together over the long term, which is a lot of work and a lot of time, good things tend to happen. For the other side, it's okay to decide, I love helping people. I love coaching people. I want you know a stable, reliable income that will keep me in the industry. And it might mean becoming a coach for someone else. Uh, like, for example, you see people like Lane Norton has been building a team under him and he's got several coaches now. Uh, so he leaves same thing. She's got a team of three coaches that she has. There, there are so many other people across the industry, Luca Hosovar, and, you know, he has a, he has a gym, his bigger ground, which he's able to, you know, coach and help a ton of people and have coaches work there for him. And this, this goes to most of the people that we know across the industry. They found ways to do this, grow their individual brand while actually creating a livelihood and supporting other people. So I think both routes are fine. I personally am more passionate about, all right, how, how much can we do on the brand growth side of things? How much can we, and encourage other trainers to do the same, but, and how much can I do? Because I find it fulfilling. You know, I had some recent stuff, all this public speaking this year has been fulfilling. The, the publication stuff has been fulfilling and it makes me go, yeah, I like this. And it's a little bit of a bonus I get to do on top of, you know, punching a lot of hours trading clients in front of me because Hey, I enjoy the experience, but it, it can get, I don't want to say it gets monotonous. It can get a bit repetitive. It, it is really actually an awesome way to spend your time. But I like having the duality of my career where I work with the clients, but also I have these other pursuits that I find fulfilling. Yeah, it really, it, it, it gives you a different, um, I would say a, a different way of appreciating how far you've come, but also what you've done for others. And it, it's different in than in person in the way that like in-person training, at least when I was doing it, or actually both of us growing up, like you have that one hour with somebody, that's really the only variable you can control with them is their workout. You don't, no one really sold like nutrition or anything like off site, right? 
online is so much more difficult. And I don't think people realize that because there's so much more involved. Like you, you don't really see what I'm doing on the back end. I'm monitoring trends. I'm looking at your body weight. I'm looking at, you know, if you're recording, um, body temperature, or if I have your aura data or, you know, your workouts and seeing, are you recovering? So there's a lot on the other side that this is going to help me dictate what we do next and where we go next. And usually the plan is at least minimum a year with personal training. Like people either, you know, bought packages back in the day, or they had like a six week timeline or something, or maybe they only lived where they were training for half of the year or whatever. You didn't really know how long you're going to have a certain client where online coaching, like I've been grateful. My people have stuck with me for years because they realize that number one, this is not a transformation type of thing. But if you truly want to change how you look and everything about your lifestyle, that takes a long time. And what you can do over the course of many years is pretty damn cool. I've had a coach for five years. I've actually been roughly the same weight since I started with him till now, Luke Lehman. He's he's amazing. But I look completely different. I look completely different. But that change took a lot of time. And so being able to help people from that side is huge. But I don't think you you develop the same precision and capacity for understanding how to help that many people unless you've done it in person. I don't know how I would think of some of the cues that I do on True Coach for people if had I not done them in person. You know what I mean? Like when you have your hands on somebody and stuff like that. Well, that sounds wrong, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Can't say that nowadays, but you know what I mean? <laughs> It's you, you touched on something interesting and people like to argue about it. You know, traditionally, I don't think anybody would have imagined someone online coaching before they had in-person coached. I think the newest trainers coming into the industry are probably learning it more as a hybrid and they're doing it concurrently. And I actually have no problem with that because here's the reality. If I've also seen a lot of very gatekeepy language, you, know, you get people like, oh, you, you, you haven't earned the right to train people online unless you train people in person for five years. Okay, sure, maybe, but that statement's not actually solving any problems. That's kind of just like a, you know, a moral platitude to get, you know, a pat on the back for the people that agree with you. And it does nothing but alienate the newer coaches who are like, well, I actually want to do this, especially imagine the coaches who were in their first six months and then all of a sudden COVID slams down, gyms are closed where most people were. What do you do? Okay, cool. You keep coaching your clients online. Maybe you're trying to salvage a livelihood you know, continue to support your clients. Do you have the right to do that? Yeah, you do. And they're going to tune out the people who are gatekeeping and they're going to actually seek out the people who are like, here, here are some really great resources. So that way you're going to be the best online coach you can to continue to learn, et cetera. And, you know, I, I think, especially the position we're in now, we probably better choose the latter type of road in order to support those people, because then we're going to make sure that they're the best possible. And then those people don't tune out the skilled evidence-based people and instead turn around and learn online coaching from people who are fly-by-night grifter types, social media influencers who actually don't have any experience anyway, and charge them a lot of money to give them a bunch of stuff that isn't going to necessarily make them a good coach. So complicated topic, probably for another day. Let's tell people where we can, where they can find your social media and you and I are both speaking at an event coming up soon. So do you want to share a little more about that? 
Yes. So if you guys want to find me, the Allie Gilbert on Instagram, that's pretty much where most of my content is. I'm on Facebook, but I don't post nearly all my stuff uh, like I do on Instagram. And then if you would like to come to my event, which is going to be in the New York City area in June, that is silverbacksummit.com. And then our event that we're speaking at in March, the first week in March in Vegas, which I'm super pumped about, is the Real Coaches Summit. I think that's the website as well. Um, And we'll both be there. And I'll be talking about boners and biceps, as usual. (laughs) Graham's event, and he's wonderful. Um, And I know that Stan Efferding is in the lineup. Uh, Sam Miller, Jade Tata, who you're very close with. I love both of those guys. There's a there's a whole bunch of other great coaches on there. Uh, Brad, the bodybuilder, sober bodybuilder. Um, looking and Mike, to, Mike T. Nelson, which Mike I, T. Nelson, who I love. freaking love Mike. And he's really good friends with my coach, Luke. And Mike and I have never met in person. And we've known each other like forever. So as soon as he agreed to doing that, he like messaged me. He's like, I'm going to be in Vegas. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, and then, you know, then like it erupted into all these uh people that I'd never met, like Stan. I'm so excited to meet Stan because we talk a lot about the same stuff with the hormone stuff. So um, it'll be a good crew. It's funny how small this industry is. I met Mike T. Nelson, geez, back in 2017 at the Kansas City Fitness Summit, again in 2018. And then he is in Minneapolis. So I spoke at an event in Minneapolis this past May, and he came out just to hang out and see me and Brad Brad Schoenfeld and Stu Phillips talk at that one. So that was cool to get get that time with him. And he's coming to raise the bar where I'm talking in February. And then he'll be at, like, I'm going to see him two weekends in a row, basically. <laughs> so love Mike. Mike's a great guy. He's been on before. So any, any Mike T. Nelson fans, I've had him on as a podcast guest. Um, Ali, this has been really wonderful having you on. I appreciate it, guys. Go, and girls, go check out what Ali's doing because I think <laughs> there's a unique reservoir of knowledge that I think a lot of us are lacking in. And uh, I wanted you guys to know about Allie as a resource. So, and if you are someone who is, well, again, one of my longtime listeners, go follow Allie. If you're someone who's new and has found me through Allie's media, well, maybe take a scroll through recent podcasts. Don Saladino was a recent guest. And you'll probably find a lot of your favorite people in the industry. And hopefully you stick around and check out some more. Thank you, Allie. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on.